This is The Guardian. Hi, this is Guardian Australia Reads. I'm Jane Lee. Every week, we ask Guardian Australia's editors what their favourite articles are, and then we read them aloud for you. Chronic pain is a condition suffered by many people, which is often difficult to diagnose or treat. Gabrielle Jackson is Associate Editor of Audio and Visual at Guardian Australia. Gabs, can you tell me why you chose this story? I chose this article because it was the lead feature in a series I commissioned about chronic pain and long COVID. The series was called The Pain That Can't Be Seen. And I commissioned it because, well, very selfishly, I suffer from chronic pain and I've written a book about it. And what I've discovered is that it is really, really woefully misunderstood in both medicine and wider society. And there's been some really great developments in understanding of how chronic pain works. And long COVID has many similarities to lots of chronic pain syndromes. And so it's providing a incredible opportunity for science to study these conditions and for people to understand them more and most importantly for medical practitioners to catch up with where the science is. And so we got together some of the best pain scientists in the world to talk to us for this article and people wrote to tell me that for the first time in their life they understand their chronic pain after 20 or 30 years of suffering. So that made me feel good. Let's hear it. This is Sufferers of Chronic Pain Have Long Been Told It's All in Their Head. We Now Know That's Wrong by Linda Geddes. It started with headaches and neck pain, but no sooner had Trisha Kalinowski's physiotherapist come up with a strategy to tackle these problems, then another area of her body would start to hurt, her lower back, her hip or her jaw. Kalinowski is 60 years old and is from Minneapolis in the US. She says, The physio was chasing the pain up and down my body. Eventually, she was referred to an oral surgeon who believed the root cause of these issues was a problem with one of the joints in her jaw, so she underwent surgery to replace a thumbnail-sized disc. Unfortunately, the replacement was defective, triggering an immune reaction that resulted in the loss of several inches of jawbone. It took 13 rounds of surgery to fix the damage, the last of which was performed in 2015. She says, The irony to all the surgeries is that I still have headaches, I still have neck pain, and nobody really knows quite what to do about it. To most people, pain is an unpleasant but short-lived sensation occurring as a result of illness or injury. Although some people may experience ongoing or chronic pain, the assumption is there must be some kind of underlying physical injury, such as a crushed nerve or an angry, inflamed joint. Increasingly, though, experts are waking up to the idea that chronic pain can occur without any obvious physical injury or in a completely separate area of the body from the original site of tissue damage. There's also mounting evidence that seemingly very different pain conditions, chronic headaches, low back pain and jaw pain, say, may share common underlying mechanisms, and that once a person develops one chronic pain condition, they're predisposed to develop others. The COVID-19 pandemic could make this situation even worse. 
One of the most common symptoms reported by people with long COVID is musculoskeletal pain. And those with existing musculoskeletal pain conditions seem to be at risk of experiencing stronger pain after a serious COVID infection. Musculoskeletal pain is an issue that we must start considering as a long COVID problem, says Professor Lars Arendt Nielsen, immediate past president of the International Association for the Study of Pain, IASP, and director of the world's largest translational pain research centre at Olberg University in Denmark. The health profession as a whole does not treat people with chronic pain well, and it is about to be hit by a tsunami of severely ill people needing help. Pain probably evolved as a means of identifying potentially harmful stimuli and withdrawing from them, as well as teaching us to avoid these things in the future. It can also help to protect injured body parts while they heal. But when it continues beyond this recovery period, it has lost this useful function. Chronic pain is a leading cause of disability, affecting about 20% of people globally, but more than two-fifths of people in some countries, including the UK, and is predicted to increase as populations age. Traditionally, doctors have divided pain into two categories. Nociceptive pain, triggered by injuries such as bruises, burns, fractures, sprains or inflammatory conditions such as arthritis and detected by pain receptors in our skin, bones and other tissues, and neuropathic pain triggered by damage to the nerves that carry sensory signals from these tissues to the brain and spinal cord. But a few years ago, the International Association for the Study of Pain introduced a third category, nosoplastic pain, pain arising from the altered processing of these sensory signals without any evidence of actual or threatened tissue damage. One thing that can happen is that the pain signals carried by peripheral nerves from the skin, muscles, joints or internal organs to the spinal cord can become amplified, worsening the pain. Prolonged activation of the body's pain pathways can also lead to changes in the brain and spinal cord. According to the old way of thinking, the body's pain pathways were arranged like a telephone switchboard with fixed sets of wires, nerves, connecting our peripheral organs and tissues to the spinal cord and further nerves connecting the spinal cord to the brain as well as feeding back down in the opposite direction. Professor Lars Arendt Nielsen says, the assumption was that this was a fixed, solid, stable system But we now know that these neural networks can be reorganised when there are persistent inputs into the system and cause increased gain of the pain signal and hence generate a stronger pain. For one thing, nerves in the brain and spinal cord, the central nervous system, can become hyperexcitable, meaning that minor bumps and grazes become agonising and even non-painful stimuli such as brushing your hair or touching your skin can trigger pain. It is like an allergic reaction in the pain system, Arendt Nielsen says. This central sensitization can also spread. One of the features that we see in many patients with chronic pain is that they have this generalised pain hypersensitivity. They might have osteoarthritis and pain in their knee, 
But if you quantitatively assess the sensitivity of the pain system, they have a lower pain threshold throughout their bodies, Arendt Nielsen says. This reorganisation of the pain system is the reason why management of chronic pain is difficult and traditional analgesics are not efficient and why pain research is so important to discover new ways to modulate this pain reorganisation. It may also help explain why so many people with chronic pain conditions subsequently develop more of them. More than 200 million people around the world are affected by chronic overlapping pain conditions, a cluster of painful disorders which often coexist in the same patient. Over the past 10 years, there's been the widespread recognition that pain can be a disease in and of itself and a growing understanding that it is a multi-system illness and that there are shared mechanisms of disease across these conditions, says Kristen Veasley, co-founder and director of the US-based Chronic Pain Research Alliance. A patient like Trisha Kalinowski may start out with jaw pain, then gradually accumulate other conditions such as fibromyalgia, endometriosis, migraine or irritable bowel syndrome, as time wears on. Other related conditions include temporomandibular disorder, pain related to the jaw joints, painful bladder syndrome, vulvodynia, pain around the opening of the vagina, chronic low back pain and tension-type headache. Daniel Claw is a professor of anesthesiology, medicine and psychiatry at the University of Michigan, who says, in many people with conditions like low back pain, endometriosis, irritable bowel, headache, fibromyalgia, you're not going to find a problem in the area of the body where the person is experiencing pain. There's more and more evidence that these are central nervous system systemic conditions where the pain can present in different areas of the body at different points in time over that person's life. Where there is organic disease associated with endometriosis, for instance, it is now understood that the severity of the physical disease does not correspond with the severity of pain symptoms in many patients. Claw likens the experience of pain to the noise produced by an electric guitar. To make it louder, you can either strum the strings harder or turn up the amplifier. In this analogy, The strings are represented by the peripheral nerves carrying sensory information from our organs and tissues, and the amplifier by the brain and spinal cord. A patient with third-degree burns is having their strings strummed extremely hard, whereas in someone with fibromyalgia, a long-term condition that causes pain all over the body, their amplifier has been set too loud. They can have pain without the strings even having to be strummed, Claw says. Central sensitization is one way of turning up that amplifier. It can be triggered by intense, repeated and sustained activation of the nerves that carry pain signals as a result of a major injury or prolonged infection, say. People's innate amplifier settings can also vary. Not everyone who develops a chronic pain condition will develop more of them, but they seem to be particularly prevalent among women, and those affected also often suffer from non-pain conditions such as sleep and mood disorders and fatigue. Some of this variation between men and women may be due to immune system differences 
with women also more prone to autoimmune disease. Immune cells trigger inflammation, which can trigger pain. Sex hormones such as estrogen and testosterone can further exacerbate or dull pain, depending where they are released and in what quantities. Laid on top of those basic amplifier settings are events that happen to you as you go through life. Chronic pain is more common among people who experience lots of surgery as children or emotional or physical abuse. There is also a strong link between chronic pain and depression. Of course, living with chronic pain can be depressing, but depression can also amplify pain processing in and of itself. This is not the same thing as suggesting that someone's mental attitude can affect their pain. Rather, people often don't realise that the brain pathways that drive depression are intrinsically linked to the ones that drive chronic pain, says Dr Kirsty Bannister, a senior lecturer at King's College London who researches these pain pathways. When pain signals arrive in the brain, they are transmitted to areas that allow us to locate and categorise that pain, as well as to areas that process emotions. These brain areas then send signals back down the spinal cord, which, in health, causes those original pain signals to be dampened. This is why your thumb begins to stop hurting several minutes after you've bashed it with a hammer. But in people with a history of depression or childhood trauma, those emotion processing areas are often wired differently, which can alter the type of signals they send. As a result, their pain pathways carry on being activated. Bannister says, Because our life experiences are not equal, it means that previous issues such as fear, hopelessness or helplessness may escalate your pain to a very different intensity compared to mine. That's not to say that everyone with chronic pain is affected by this problem of nosoplastic pain or central sensitization. Claw says, Fibromyalgia is a poster child for it, but you see elements of fibromyalgia in other conditions, such as low back pain. Probably 40 to 50% of people with low back pain really have something a lot more like fibromyalgia than a problem in their back, and 70 to 80% of people with bladder pain syndrome really have more of a fibromyalgia phenotype where they have pain in their bladder, but they have pain elsewhere as well. What we think happens in these post-infection, post-motor vehicle accident kind of syndromes is that everyone has this background degree of fibromyalgia-ness, and then this gets blasted open by getting covid or being in a hospital where you sleep terribly and you're inactive for weeks or months, whatever you were doing in your life that was sort of keeping that all at bay comes crashing down. Vicky Naylor, aged 55, is a nurse from Wigan in the UK who developed fibromyalgia after undergoing an emergency C-section 11 years ago. But through a combination of swimming, yoga and medication, had her symptoms under control. She says, It was only if I had an illness or got very stressed that I'd get flare-ups. I'd become very stiff and get painful joints and trigger points, tender spots around the body, and headaches, but I could always get them back under control and deal with them. I never missed a day's work. 
Then, in March 2020, she developed COVID-19. Her initial symptoms were severe. Fever, shortness of breath, and a cough so bad she lost her voice, although she was never admitted to hospital. But as the weeks turned to months, she began to experience a plethora of other symptoms, including excruciating pain. It is off the scale, she says. I get it in my feet. Some days it is so bad I can't bear to wear filled in shoes. I get it in my knees, the tops of my legs, my right hip particularly, my elbows, shoulders, neck. It's just everywhere. Naylor isn't the only person who is experiencing ongoing pain after developing COVID-19. In a study, Arendt Nielsen, together with Professor César Fernández de las Peñas at Rey Juan Carlos University in Madrid and colleagues, assessed more than 1,100 people who had been hospitalised with the virus seven months after they first developed symptoms. He says, We found that approximately 70% developed two to three persistent symptoms, and of those, 40% developed musculoskeletal-related pain. Also, if you had musculoskeletal pain problems prior to your infection, then seven months later, there was a big chance that you would experience stronger musculoskeletal pain, Those patients with musculoskeletal pain problems prior to the infection were also more likely to have myalgia, muscle pain, during the hospitalisation. So far, we do not know for how long the post-COVID conditions will last. As chronic pain already globally affects approximately one out of five adults, we hope that COVID condition will not add to this global burden as there are already many bottlenecks to overcome for this vulnerable chronic pain population when they seek optimal management. In a separate study, neurologists at the Voldebron University Hospital in Barcelona discovered that almost two-fifths of the COVID patients they assessed in the accident and emergency department were still experiencing persistent and disabling daily headaches six weeks later. COVID might be triggering chronic pain through various mechanisms. Lingering inflammation triggered by the immune system's response to the virus could be stimulating pain receptors in various tissues. Immune cells make things that the nerves don't like, and so the nerves could become sensitised, says Dr Francesca Denk, a pain researcher at King's College London. The ACE2 receptor that SARS-CoV-2 binds to is also expressed in sensory neurons. Denk says, That's bad news because it could be that, like many other viruses, it can damage the sensory neurons. In some people, this nerve or tissue damage will be their only source of pain. Claw says, There's going to be a lot of people that have nosoplastic pain superimposed upon that. Unfortunately, our health systems are ill-equipped to deal with chronic pain, and particularly patients with chronic overlapping pain conditions. Like many patients with chronic pain, Kalinowski takes multiple drugs to get through the day, Working out which ones work for her has taken years. Kristen Veasley, co-founder and director of the US-based Chronic Pain Research Alliance, says, A lot of people describe it as trying to navigate a maze. It is this hit-and-miss, trial-and-error experiment of trying to firstly find someone who's knowledgeable about even one of these conditions, much less their overlap or interconnectedness, Even then, we really have no idea what treatments or therapies work for which patients. 
Although pain experts have accepted the existence of central sensitization, family doctors are less aware of it, meaning they may dismiss a patient's pain in the absence of any obvious abnormality or injury. Dr. Kirsty Bannister says, I find it terrifying to think that anyone who has been to their GP to complain about pain has been sent on their way. Nor is there any widely available test that doctors could use to determine if someone's pain is the result of central sensitization or not. Bannister says, There is no biomarker that would allow an individual to turn around to their GP and say, You know, this is proof that I'm not being hysterical or making it up. One problem stemming from this poor medical appreciation of chronic pain is the overprescription of opioid drugs. Although opioids are effective at dampening short-term severe pain or cancer pain, they are highly addictive and accidental overdose kills about 50,000 people in the US alone each year. They can also make chronic pain worse. This is because opioids provide relief by blocking pain receptors, but your body responds by increasing the number of pain receptors, meaning you need higher doses to get the same relief. In chronic pain conditions, such as fibromyalgia, people have already been producing natural opioids called endorphins, which bind to the same receptors. Claw says, giving them an opioid is like throwing kerosene onto a fire. The good news is that attitudes to chronic pain are changing even if it may take the wider medical community a bit of time to catch up. In July 2020, the IASP updated its definition of pain to cover nosoplastic pain, that arising in the absence of obvious injury. Pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage, it now says. Alongside its revised definition, the IASP published a set of accompanying notes. One of them was that a person's experience of pain should be respected, Bannister says. Regardless whether you think that they don't look like they're in pain or they've only had a cut to the foot, so how can they possibly be complaining? We have to respect a patient's report of pain and treat them as individuals. As for Kalinowski, If she could offer a single piece of advice to others in a similar situation, it would be to not give up and seek an alternative medical opinion if necessary. She says, you need to trust yourself, no matter what the doctor says, and keep pushing on until you find a doctor who does believe you, even if they can't define what it is you have. That was, sufferers of chronic pain have long been told it's all in their head. We now know that's wrong, by Linda Geddes. The reader was Nizreen Amin. To read the full article, go to Guardian Australia's website. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Daniel Simo and Camilla Hannan. I'm Jane Lee. See you next time. 